Okay, we're going to get started. Welcome to the first of two weeks on the subject of transgenderism, transgendered people. We'll be looking at something called the Nashville Statement later, but let me just read a little bit of the preamble that kind of kicks us off. Uh, there, some of this is on the back of your sheet. You won't see what I'm about to read. Their foundational verse there is, Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who made us. We are His. And some of their preamble says this, which is a good kickoff for the class. Evangelical Christians at the dawn of the 21st century find themselves living in a period of historic transition. As Western culture has become increasingly post-Christian, it has embarked upon a massive revision of what it means to be a human being. By and large, the spirit of our age no longer discerns or delights in the beauty of God's design for human life. Many deny that God created human beings for his glory, and that his good purposes for us include our personal and physical design as male and female. It is common to think that human identity as male and female is not part of God's beautiful plan, but is rather an expression of an individual's autonomous preferences. We are persuaded that faithfulness in our generation means declaring once again the true story of the world and of our place in it, particularly as male and female. Christian scripture teaches that there is but one God who alone is creator and Lord of all. To him alone, every person gives glad-hearted thanksgiving, or owes glad-hearted thanksgiving, heartfelt praise, and total allegiance. This is the path not only of glorifying God, but of knowing ourselves. To forget our Creator is, is to forget who we are, for He made us for Himself. And we cannot know ourselves truly without truly knowing Him who made us. We did not make ourselves. We are not our own. Our true identity as male and female persons is given by God. It is not only foolish but hopeless to try to make ourselves what God did not create us to be. Uh, so today we're going we're gonna to talk about transgenderism and the church's response. And next week will be transgenders, like transgendered people, what an individual Christian's response is. At the bottom of your sheet, those who were here way back when in our uh, Sunday school on homosexuality will recognize what uh, Sam Alberry said is the way we should approach that subject. And I'm going to assume it's the way we should approach this subject as well. Number one, we're going to be biblically faithful. We want to be pastorally sensitive and culturally conversant. So today I'm going to focus a bit more on this first one, although they all go together. And next week we'll get a little more into the pastorally sensitive. These are not mutually exclusive because, of course, as you're sitting there at the coffee table sharing with someone who's struggling with these issues, you need to be, you know, doctrinally sound. You need to be, have your, your Bible built up so you, you kind of know how to re relate. You know how to identify categories. And of course, as the, as the church proclaims and defends against the onslaught of the culture, we want to do so not with just the law, but with the gospel. And so our message to the culture should be very much in the tone of this preamble. We need to be pleading with people to see their failure and their folly because it's bad for them. And that there is an answer in Jesus Christ. There's an answer in the gospel. And so all of this kind of go together. But that's where we're going. Do you mind praying for us, Walt? Father, we have... Thank you for this time of uh, teaching and uh, that we can be educated on the topic of transgenderism. And I pray that you would use key, uh, biblically sound teaching we receive your words. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Thank you. 
I, so I don't really plan on getting into a lot of questions that we, we might want to go. Maybe our community groups can go there. Things about how to exactly respond to the political realm at work. Um, this is not a topic I'm that really familiar with. I've just done some study. Uh, I don't know transgender people, not personally. I mean, I know of them. I know friends of friends, but uh, like I have friends who are homosexuals. I don't, I don't have friends who are transgender. And a lot of you probably have personal contact a lot more than me. Some of you teachers and others are probably facing this in your workplace. You probably have work rules and, and you're talking about this and sensitivity training. So I'll welcome some of your experiences and insights there. Probably more next week. Today will be a lot of more monologue as we just kind of get some information. And next week we really want to dig into some Q&A on, you know, what would you do? Would you, are you going to honor the, the preferred pronoun and things like that? Really important question, uh, questions that we need to do. So it's really interesting. This, this document, National Statement, we're going to look at, uh, take, takes in the whole subject, but really, you know, lumps in together homosexuality and transgenders. And that's what we've done in our culture. This whole acronym, LGBTQ, lesbian, gay, bisexual, and then trans. And then you have queer, you have plus, you have, I think it was, uh, one of the social platforms, Facebook or something, tried to make a drop down list of preferred gender. And within an hour, they came up with over 70. They said, forget it, you just fill in the blank. It, and it's, so it's really, it's just becoming really out of control. And, it, and it's really difficult to grasp with. And it's coming very quickly. And so if we don't think about this as Christians and as a church, um, we're probably already passed by, to be honest, in lots of ways. And so because these get lumped together so much in our discussion, we can very easily lump them in our own minds that this is just that confused group. But there really are some really important distinctions. Uh, later, I'll show you a video. Well, I'm not going to show you. I have a link there by Sam Alberry, who we've talked about. He wrote the book, Is It God Anti-Gay? And we've talked about him a few times. Great just theologian in general. I've heard him as a guest on White Horse Inn. Um, but on these issues, he's great. And I have plagiarized from him. Those, those aren't for you. Okay. I mean, you, it'll, it'll confuse you. You have to sit next to a brother or sister. As, sorry, I thought 30 would be enough. Important topic, I guess. I apologize. Um, anyway, if you read him or see him, I have plagiarized, and I'm not ashamed of that. Uh, he talks about, someone has said that uh, being transgender is not about what's between your legs, but about what's between your ears. To be gay is, is to who, who you want to go to bed with. To be transgender is to who do you want to go to bed as, or who you do go to bed as. And so it's very much who they think they are. In fact, you, you can't know if a transgender person is really homosexual or heterosexual. There's, there's really no link there. And, of course, to say same-sex or opposite sex gets really confusing. I know a couple that the girl and the boy are both transitioning. And, and it just becomes a world of confusion. So there is a lot of overlap um, because, it, you know, when you don't have an objective standard and a moral compass... We really are just left to drift, and really that's the the spirit of our age, isn't it? You know, every individual basically gets to decide and conceive uh, whoever they are and whoever they want to be, and and it's not going to help you. Sorry, <laughs> I'm going to need to part, put these together. I should have made more. Um, and, and so having having the Word of God is so helpful. It's an anchor point. It gives us such clarity. 
And even if you're, even when you live with people who don't believe the Bible, there is something very attractive as they're drifting and, and aimless and they don't, they don't have even a philosophical argument to get to where they are. They just are and it feels right. It's what everybody else believes. I fit in. To, to know someone who stands on truth, and this would be true of any religious person, even those who don't have the gospel, can be very attractive when they, when they just had a, a set of principles and moorings. And so we want to be those people with the moorings and attractiveness that also have the gospel. And, and that can be helpful to them. Let's get into a little bit of the, uh, a little bit of the differences. Now, when we say sex, and people will use terminology all over the place. And so whenever you get into discussion, you really have to know where someone, what someone means. But really what we mean, typically sex is more of the biology, right? Sex is the chromosomes, it's the body parts. Um, and so when we deal with something like intersex, that's someone who really is. Uh, a doctor would have a hard time figuring out what sex this person is supposed to be. It's a very small part of the population, but they do exist. And I, a lot of what we're going to say today doesn't necessarily relate to them. Some of it will. We're more talking about someone who was clearly a given sex from birth, a biological sex, but they're confused on gender. Now, gender really refers to your functional roles. Um, and I don't mean some 1950s housewife kind of roles per se. We, we don't want to go to the 1950s to get what's biblically gender roles. We want to go to the Bible. But so, so from someone who is transgender, who, who feel, they honestly feel like someone, a man trapped in a woman's body or vice versa, that's gender dysphoria. That's, that's that psychological state. And there, of course, anytime there's a socially acceptable movement, there's going to be copycats. There's going to be people who just want to experiment. Um, there's a lot of people, you know, maybe experiment in their college years, whatever. But there are people who are just, they truly, their, their honest response would be, this is who I feel like. And, and, and when I, if I'm a man and I see the way women are, that's who I feel like. And I feel like God or nature made a mistake. And I, I want to fix that. Euphoria is the opposite here, elation. Dysphoria is just a uh, supreme dissatisfaction, not feeling at home, not feeling who you are. As I go through these terms, please stop me if I'm not being clear. I did not know most of this stuff before I started studying. So we have, we have true sex, we have gender. So the real question is, if your biological sex ought to determine your gender roles. That's the real question. In other words, does God equip us with what we need for what he calls us to do? Or are these simply historical, societal, and cultural inventions that we can progress beyond? That, that's, really, that's really probably the biggest debate. Scientifically, it's indisputable. The cells in your body determine who you are. Ironically, except for your sex cells. But, you know, if you're, if you're a man, you, all, every cell in your body has XY uh, chromosomes. And the females have XX. And our external genitalia, I mean, obviously in a very small few cases, that's not true, but you, know, you can see who you are. We know from a, when a baby's born without putting the, the cells under a microscope, we know if it's a boy or a girl. So that's really indisputable. There are those with uh, chromosomal syndromes and other genetic disorders. Um, so we need to know that hermaphrodite, so you know, is a non-PC term. 
More intersex is what people like to use these days. I don't know how offensive it is, but some people get offended by that term. Um, so that's the PC term, if I confuse that. Um, and it's, it's ironic to me that Christians are often, you know, accused of the ones who are, are non-scientific, right? The fact that we believe in something outside the natural realm, we believe in miracles, uh, a lot of us believe in a short earth, or don't believe in evolution. I mean, all those issues, the church is often accused of being non-scientific. And in this realm, it, it just seems to be completely flipped around. I mean, you don't need to be a Christian to see how foolish some of these things are. You just need to be a scientist. And so that's very interesting. Let's go through some of these terms, uh, just so we're somewhat culturally conversant. Binary. So that means two, right? There are two distinct genders. Spoiler alert, that's what the Bible says. But that th- this is the concern that um, people in this movement don't like, they, they want to fight against being binary, so they talk in terms of being, uh, there's, there's so many terms here, non-binary or fluid or queer. I didn't put queer up there. Queer, when I grew up, queer was like offensive. You weren't supposed to say that in public. You said it with all your friends. Now it's like an okay. It's just, it just seems to be this umbrella term that, of sexual orientation categories and people don't want to be classified. I mean, that's why this, this, this list was getting so long. They don't believe in classifications. It's, it's like the ultimate example of being postmodern. Transgender, of course, is someone who wants to transition. If you say a transgender man, it's someone who was born as a girl, and transitions to being a transgender man, and then obviously vice versa. Cisgender is the opposite. Cisgender are these old traditional guys. You believe in the traditional roles. Um, that gender aligns with your sex. That these would be, by and large, very few cases uh, wouldn't, wouldn't be true. Transvestite is really about dressing. That isn't really about uh, sex change operation or anything. That would be, you know, Deuteronomy mentions a verse about Men wearing women's clothes and so forth. But even in, even in these terms, people are going to go all over the place. Some people will just simply use these terms. It doesn't mean that they've made any physical, medical transition. It's just that they're in some way trying to live as the opposite sex. So again, you need, you need to know where people are at. So any questions on all that before we jump into the biblical stuff? So may, I might have confused people. All right. You mean cisgender, it's not sigender, you get sigender. It's cis. Is it sig, cis? I, I, I probably misspelled it somehow. C-I-S. C-I-S. Here, red, because it's wrong. <laughs> cisgender, I don't know where that comes from, I'm sure there's a Latin root or something. Yes. Is there a spiritual component? No. Yes, of course there is. <laughs> yeah, we'll get into that here. You mean of them, uh, of people denying like the obvious biology? Well, I think in general, we have a rebellion against God and a rebellion against how he has created us and wanting to be autonomous. So that's, that would be spiritual to me if I'm understanding your term right. Yeah, and it's really sad because you look at the stats. They're they're trying to feel good about themselves. Um, you, you look at the suicide rates before and after transitioning. They're the same. Doing going through the, all this medical stuff. Can you imagine? We're now like giving nine year olds hormone therapy because they're identifying. 
And on the other side of it, they find out, oh, that's not my real issue. My real issue wasn't this. We have a deep-seated heart issue, a need for the gospel, and that hasn't solved it. So they get beyond the transition, and they say, I've done everything I can possibly physically do in this world. The, the suicide rate's like 40%. It is off the charts. I've heard the only thing that even compares to that closely were the Jews during Nazi Germany. I mean, it, there's nothing in this world that compares. So there's, there, there's clearly, even from a scientific standpoint, a very clear psychological problem with these people. And it's, and it's very sad. And so they're, they're doing, they're, they're trying to justify themselves. They're doing everything in their own power by their own works to correct the mistake. And, and it doesn't work. And that's why the gospel is the only thing. And that's why we can really, I know we're going to be seen as these bigoted, Bible-thumping people, but there's so much we, we have to offer real solutions uh, for these poor people. All right, on the back of your sheet, you'll see uh, the sections that we're going to read through today. The Nashville Statement, uh, we actually planned a class on this last year. It came out in August, but it just never lined up. The Council on Biblical Manhood and Womanhood. This came out 30 years ago with a whole statement on complementarianism versus egalitarianism. Basically, we'll look at the first two uh, sections I have there, sections 3 and 4. Can someone read those for me, articles 3 and 4? We affirm that God created Adam and Eve, the first human beings in his own image, equal before God as persons and distinct as male and female. We affirm that this is Yeah, every article has an affirmation and a denial. Oh, we deny that the divinely ordained differences between male and female render them unequal in dignity or worth. We affirm that divinely ordained differences between male and female reflect God's original creation design and are meant for human good and human flourishing. We deny that such differences are a result of the fall or are a tragedy to be overcome. So we're not going to turn that, but obviously Genesis 1, Genesis 2, we see God created man and woman, and he made them, they are distinct. And so complementarianism would basically say, if you're talking about value, if you're talking about being an image bearer of God, complete equality between men and women. But if you're talking about roles and callings and giftedness, then we do see a distinction. And so we're, we're this equal but different. I don't know, there's whatever phrase you want to use. Where egalitarianism would more move to as much equality in, in roles as well as value. And of course, part of the confusion is just men suck. You know, Men as sinners have oppressed for so long and they have abused their calling that you, in a sense you can't... <laughs> the whole feminist movement... you you kind of understand, They're fighting against that. Um, so whenever we start straying from God's ways, obviously um, everything falls to pieces. I don't want to say too much on national statement as a whole. This is not a statement that our church has adopted, the PCA have adopted. I, I would be hard, I, it, I would be surprised if we find much wrong with it. Um, if you look at the people who signed it, Sproul and Piper and Moeller and others, I mean, pretty much I'd be surprised I did look at some of the critiques. Um, you know, maybe some people would use the terminology a little bit differently. Maybe we talked about that in the homosexuality class. People argue over if you should use the word gay or same-sex attraction. So that there are ways, and any statement like this is somewhat of a compromise. 
from all the people that come together. There was about 150 who came together to sign this. And now there's about 20,000 people who have signed it. Some people just don't like signing these statements. Um, James White from Alpha Omega Ministries thought there should be a little more in there about the disorderedness of our passion. So there's very small critiques, but he signed it. Um, but for the most part, I'm just kind of assuming that we're not going to have a lot of fight on that. But you're free to fight on it. There's, this is not the Bible itself. And so we want to test even these statements against the Bible. Um, let's go ahead and open up to Matthew 19. And if someone can read verses 1 to 12 for me. Now, this is a passage on divorce. And so it's not directly on our subject. But I think there's some good key terms here or key uh, insights. We looked at this passage a little bit when we talked about singleness. A lot of comparison between 1 Corinthians 7 and uh, Matthew 19. But whoever gets to Matthew 19, if you wouldn't mind reading the first 12 verses. Now when Jesus had finished these sayings, he went away from Galilee and entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. And large crowds followed him and healed them there. The Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. They said to him, Why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? He said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery. The disciples said to him, If such is the case of a man with his wife, it's better not to marry. But he said to them, Not everyone can receive this saying, but only those to whom it is given. For there are eunuchs who have been so converted, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. But the one who is able to receive this, receive it. And someone can read Article 5 there in the National Statement. We have heard that the differences between male and female reproductive structures are integral to God's design for self-conception as male or female. We deny that physical anomalies or psychological conditions nullify the God-appointed link in biological self, sex, and self-conception as male or female. Uh, so now we have a new concept. And there are some people who thought this maybe isn't the best way of capturing it. Conception? Is that a T or an I? Or S? One of those. Probably a British S and American T. Who knows? And so we see the statement here, and, and that basically God's design is that your biology and your gender line up. I mean, that is the basic truth there. And we'll see this a little more in Article 6. I mean, just in verses 5 and 6 there, quoting from, De- from Deuteronomy, you know, we were, the whole creation mandate, we're put on this earth and we're, we're to populate the earth. And that's impossible, right? If, if you have two intersex people or one, it's not going to work. You really do need men parts and, and women parts. It doesn't work. The whole idea of a one flesh union assumes that. It could a, complete, a marriage completely assumes a one flesh union. And so it's, it's clearly in God's design as he's, he's created man and woman, husband and wife. Um, but, but now we get to the whole idea of a self-conception. And, that, and that's kind of a broader, 
that's a broader issue of this whole idea of being autonomous and, and denying that God has created you, not just created a bunch of random men and women, okay, maybe you accept that part, but that in that creation of each of those individuals, that he has an intention. When he creates you as a man, he has an intention and purpose for you as a man. And not just to go around and make babies. I mean, that's one part of it. But that it's it's very intentional and individual um, as a creator to his design. First Corinthians 7.14, Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him. This goes beyond biology and all this. It goes into all of our spiritual gifts and calling and what you might be called to in your life. You know, a lot of people receive a calling that they wouldn't have asked for. Right? Joni Erickson talks about that. It's not what she would have asked for in life. But that, that is a general biblical truth that God is in control. He has a purpose and he's ordering this world as he sees fit. He sees fit, which includes exactly where he's put you, who he's made you, what sex and gender he's made you and what role you have. Uh, article six, somebody please. We affirm that those born with a physical disorder of sex development are created in the image of God and have dignity and worth equal to all other human care. They are acknowledged by our Lord Jesus and his words about the eunuchs who were born that way from the mother's womb. With all others, they are welcomed as faithful followers of Jesus Christ and embrace their biological sex insofar as it is known. To deny ambiguity related to a person's biological sex rendered one incapable of living a physical life and joyful so eunuch, I, I don't know, I didn't go do a lot of study on eunuchs, but I mean, eunuchs are basically, those from birth would basically be something like this category. And then those who made themselves, men would crush their testicles or whatever, and then they could be in the service of the king because they were no threat to the harem and things like that. A lot of you probably know a lot more about that than I do. But basically, this is a fascinating, this, this is a really important truth here, that there is a normative design. The, there is a norm that God created male and female. And the fact that there, that creation post fall is screwed up. And not everything works per, per that original design. And that God act, allows intersex people or eunuchs, people with all sorts of issues, doesn't deny the normative fact. And I think that's a huge thing in our debate. So the other side would say, th this community would say, look, you have these kind of people. You have these kind of people. And so that means there's no norm. We have to be able to treat these people with respect and dignity and equality means we need to deny this. And that's, that's one of their main fallacies. Matthew 19, I think, is a great example where that's not true. And this is the whole Romans 8 again, right? God has created the earth. Um, he, he created the world perfectly. But then sin has entered the world. And from that moment on, it, things are twisted. It, the, the image of God is marred, and it's not quite as clear. And, and it's really, as, as we live as sinners, with sinners in a broken world, um, it's, hard, it's hard to know, okay, was that part of God's design, or is that the effects of sin? And that's why we need the Bible to kind of unscrew those things. And we see there in Romans 8 that the whole creation is going to be redeemed. It's all going to be made right when we, as the, as the sons of men, are, are receive our adoption. 
And there is going to be an end to loss, a consummation of the ages, when everything is put back right. And it would be much clearer at that point. But right now, we're, we're in that middle part where things are, are kind of messed up. And, and we'll talk about this a lot next week, but this is really important as you talk to folks who don't understand biblical categories, is to say, I agree with you, this world is screwed up. It's messed up. Um, God created the world perfectly, but sin has screwed it up. You and I are screwed up. Our thinking is screwed up. We can't just trust ourselves, our feelings, and our thoughts. We need an objective truth from God to understand things right. But the, the, the solution in this here and now is not to deny God's original creation, to somehow fix a problem here, but to go back to his truth and, and wrestle. And it's a, it's a struggle. These are, these are hard things. Why would God allow these things? That's hard. The Bible has answers for that, but they don't necessarily scratch the itch all the way. You know, at some point, we have faith that God knows what he's doing. That by showing disorder and a standard and, and turning people to a savior, there is, there is reason in all this. But, but don't let, don't let them come with plausible arguments and say, see, see the abuse. See, see, see how if we don't treat them with, with respect or equality that how they can feel and, and we feel bad for people. It can sound very plausible when you start drifting from a biblical truth. I feel like someone might have a comment on that. Um, again, some are called to marriage, verse 11 there, and some are not. 1 Corinthians 7, 7, I wish that all were as myself am, meaning single, but each has his own gift from God. So it's true with uh, being married or single. It, it's true with being born a eunuch. I mean, we could rightly say as Christians, that is a gift from God to be born as a eunuch. He has a purpose in that. If you would submit that situation to him, and use it as a gift, which is an amazing thing to say. All right, Article 7, somebody. Can you That's pretty much what we've said um, already. We, we talked in the homosexuality class or same-sex attraction that one of the real issues there isn't the actual subject. It's that underlying idea of self-conception of identity. And this is where um, you as a Christian who maybe don't struggle with this or don't even understand it can really get to a more equal playing field with someone who's struggling who opens up to you. You'll see at the bottom of the page there as well. And if you end up watching that YouTube with um, Sam Alberry, this is, these are his three categories. That, As Christians, we, we can relate to all types of sins because we understand brokenness, we understand identity, we understand hope. And so sometimes we need to kind of retreat to those categories um, in a sensitive way to kind of share an experience. So you may not struggle with transgender or same-sex attraction, but we once studied a book called Stuck in the Middle. You might struggle with just the um, midlife crisis, right? Or who am I? I've, I've been fired from work. Um, you might struggle just with body shaming, body issues, um, image issues. Um, there's all sorts of identity issues that we struggle with. And it's really, it, it's, it's, it's really that in, in a, just a unique category. 
Who am I? What did God create me for? I just don't understand myself. I don't know what God wants me to do. That That's a shared struggle in this sinful world. And therefore we have a shared gospel, a shared hope that we can point these dear people to. As we listen to their pain and, and we try to relate to them as best we can, not that we have to fully relate to them, um, but you'll see soon that Christ fully relates to them, and that's what matters. So this might help us. Our gut reaction sometimes um, can be those weirdos, or as Rosario Butterfield calls it, the gag factor. And we need to get over that. We need to not think of people in this far-off realm. They're, they're, they're struggling with this same identity type of issues in a, in a, in a unique way, maybe, to us. And if we don't understand it. You can be honest about that. I don't understand this. I don't struggle, so I don't understand this. But I'm going to come alongside of you and try to understand and try to help. All right, uh, Article 10. We affirm that it's sinful to approve of homosexual, homosexual immorality or transgenderism and that such approval constitutes an essential departure from Christian faithfulness and witness. We deny that the approval of homosexual immorality or transgenderism is a matter of moral indifference about otherwise faithful Christian, uh, about which other otherwise faithful Christians should agree to disagree. Again, that that's kind of um, that's kind of the the plausible argument. I keep going back to that. Um, you know, we're we're tempted to to say, okay, we're, we're not going to get into this issue, or this issue isn't that important. <laughs> we just went back to Genesis 1. This issue is fundamental. The, the, we, we, it is impossible to have a faithful Christian witness and not deal with this issue rightly. It would be absolutely impossible. Um, there's some verses there you can look at later. Um, we, we've dealt with a lot of these issues before. One thing I want to introduce at this point is maybe, this is maybe one of the harder theological issues. I skipped over in your handout. For those who actually do care about what the Bible thinks, they're basically um, the people in, in the liberal wing of the church who would defend these things would basically say, all right, the only reason we have gender roles is because of the fall. And, you know, the woman's curse was to submit herself. And now in Galatians 3, we have there's no male and female in Christ. And so that the coming of, of Jesus and the resurrection has erased those gender distinctives because that was never God's design. That would be the very basic um, Bible issue that they might might be able to raise. I can't think of another plausible one. One of the harder things, maybe, and people on the, this side of things who might still disagree on, on some fine points, and I think this is what James White was getting at, was, um, it, you know, when does it become a sin? When, when, does, when does the desire become a sin? And is there a categorical difference between, say, heterosexual lust, um, a desire, and a homosexual lust? They're both sinful, right? outside of your marriage, they're sinful. But is there a categorical difference that needs to be dealt with and talked about? James 1 says, each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's fully known, brings forth death. So there, there is a temptation separate. That's obvious because Jesus was tempted, yet without sin. And then, and then 
we're, but we're tempted by our own desires. We can't really blame the devil or blame something outside of us, blame our, blame our upbringing. All those have influences, and not to deny that. But in the end, when we finally do sin, it's because we started with tempting with the desires that were within us. And, and so there's just a problem within us on desires. And I'm not going to answer this controversy today. I want to raise it. Um, when, it, when you get to the pastry sensitive, when you get to the coffee table discussion, I personally don't find that very relevant. I don't know why I have to sit across from a transgender friend and say, well, your desire is uh, worse than mine. That does no good. I can't, I can't imagine it's true. But I, I can see what people are, are talking about and wanting to call people to repentance from a desire versus, a, I don't know. I think we're all just screwed up and we all need Jesus. And I, I don't, I personally don't see a lot of gain in slicing and dicing those theological things. So I just threw that out as a canard, I guess. All right. Articles 13 to 14. If someone can read both of those. So now a little good news. That's the bottom line. There is hope. Because, because we are equally sinners, because we're equally dealing with identity, and we're equally struggling against God's call for our life and his sovereignty over our lives and not our own autonomous ability of self-conception, because we're all in that boat, I, I can... And the reason I want to get to those categories with someone is because I want to introduce them to my Savior. Right? I don't want my savior to be one that can can work on greed or or heterosexual lust and you know the normal stuff, but not one that's able to save to the uttermost everyone who calls on him. You know, I don't exactly know all this means, but you know, Jesus became just as we are. He's tempted in every respect except without sin. Therefore, let's run to him boldly to the throne of grace. I mean, I, I don't know that that means he. He experienced every type of lust and struggle out there. Um, I don't. What it means for sure is that he gets it. He understands. He can sympathize. Um, this isn't just a, a law from on high. You need to repent. You need to. You need to fix yourself. He has entered into time and history to experience all these struggles. I mean, I. I it's impossible to imagine. Here he is, God Himself you know, in the garden and, and headed to the cross and just the struggle. It's hard to imagine a God struggling with these type of things as, as he's going to have to die. And, oh, there, there's so much, <laughs> there's so much mystery there. Um, but we can take such comfort that he really does understand. And that's who we're trying. We're not, we're not trying to get our friends to be like us. We're here. I, I got some steps for you. Not at all. God just needs to obliterate it all and fix it all. You talk about body shaming. 
listen to this description of Christ on the cross. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance, his form beyond that of children of mankind. He grew up before him like a plant, young plant, a root out of the dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and equated with grief. And as from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. That's the Lord of glory. That's the sinless Lamb of God. He knows what it's like to be a minority. He knows what it's like to be outcast and to have everyone scorn him and treat him, treat him badly. If it, I don't know if he, it seems like in the garden he wanted to run away and, and not fulfill God's will. He knows what that struggle is like and that desire to run and do his own thing. But he submitted to God's will. He knew that was God's will for him. And he knew why he was going to the cross. You want to talk about dysphoria and not really understanding? Not being in the right place? 2 Corinthians 5.21 God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. That doesn't make sense. He has no sin and yet he's becoming sin. He, so Jesus knows what, what that... I don't know even how to describe it. He knows when it doesn't make sense. He knows when the normative isn't being treated normally. Um, we have a great Savior, and, and, that, and that's our hope. So I, I realize there might be times of community action. There might be a stance you have to take at work. I get all that. I'm not so much done with that, although we can introduce that next week. I, I want us to, be, to be, have very good biblical categories to really understand, not be swayed by plausible arguments. And, and know how to use that truth to, to someone who's struggling. Maybe, maybe it's an unbeliever who's going to open up to you because you're that type of approachable person. Maybe it's a Christian. Don't, don't presume for any instance that Christians wouldn't struggle with this. By no means. We're not saved from these issues. By no means. And yet we want to, we want to be strong in that balance of, of standing for truth, but being being able to dialogue and get to the gospel is so key. And, and, and just to be able to hurt with people um, and yet point them to the truth. We can't just sit there and grovel. We've got to have a solution. So I'll just open up for a few minutes for uh, comments. And next week we'll have a lot more dialogue. Yeah. I've got two cousins, a brother and sister, and they both struggle with gender dysphoria. But I'm They're my family. I've got to admit, if, I'm, if they were the same two people, if they weren't family, I would think about them differently. Mm -hmm. I would not be as loving toward them as I am. And, I, you know, that's, that's on me. Exactly. And we repent of that. Right. And maybe it means we've shown something. We need to run to them and repent in front of them. Yeah. Do you think that because God has so miraculously saved us, and he's created in us a clean heart that we forget that we are depraved in our nature. And at any time that God would lift his hand from us, that we would return to some of our sins. And they would rise up just like anybody else. Absolutely. Not saved. And I think Absolutely. because in Romans 1, 
Well, and that, that's why, we, you know, Christians need the gospel as much as anyone. And, and a reminder of we're nothing outside of Christ. He, he, you know, we're justified once for all, but we, we, our daily sanctification requires the gospel and the grace of God. Um, every day. Every day. Yeah, if, if the only reason we're justified once for all and can't slip away is because of his grace. If he removed it, we'd be right back. Yeah. I, people should just, I, I, I think that often we feel insecure about conversing with, you know, unbelievers about these type of issues or cultural issues, and we can take great confidence in those biblical categories that you talked about, you know, the, the way that you know, creation was made, how the souls affected it, and how we have redemption in Christ, because that is the best explanation of the world that anybody can ever get. And just remembering, you know, those categories, it explains the brokenness that we're in now. Uh, it explains the past, the present, and the future. And we can have great confidence. Yeah, at the bottom of your page there, and we'll get to those more next week, but that's basically the kind of categories. Every issue, and there, there are issues the Bible speaks even less on. I mean, it speaks a relative amount on homosexuality, not a lot on transgender exactly. It talks about dressing and clothes and all, but the Matthew 19 is helpful because it hits it, but... There might be a contemporary issue that the Bible just doesn't spell out in the words that we're used to. But but it, everything will fall into these categories. And that's important. Yeah, Chuck. So, uh, like you were saying, that uh, God designed us a certain way. Okay, and so this would be a problem. But one of the things I would say is that if you, I have a friend who has schizophrenia. Okay, I don't think we would go to that person and say that your schizophrenia is not the design of God because we would think that there's probably not an answer to schizophrenia. So the problem here is it's not what the Bible said. After you finish talking about this, what is the answer to the person? Because we would cut slack to a person with schizophrenia and not quote scripture to that person. I don't think I know enough about schizophrenia to answer. If you're asking something specific on that. I don't know if I'm understanding. The, I, I'm, I'm, I think in my counsel, if I'm hearing right, I'm not necessarily going to fix this. I don't know if that will be fixing this earth. It, it could be. This isn't their hope. Becoming, becoming gender normative is not their hope. That wouldn't save them a bit. Right? You're giving them the scripture, which I agree. The person wants to know, now what should I do? The schizophrenia person, you will not be able to give them a scripture to tell them what to do. The well, Bible says well, that. Well, 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 the schizophrenic, like everyone else, needs to repent fully. That's what they need to do. Every person that commanded under the sun to repent fully. Uh, I understand the difficulty. I'm not minimizing that. But at the same time, they can't have their identity in being schizophrenic. Uh, they're still made in the image of God. 
Absolutely. And those things are true. I'm not saying it's not incredibly difficult and beyond my pay grade, but I would say that you still minister to them the gospel. Tell them the story, the good news, and, and trust that the Holy Spirit will work. And that's all I can say. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure there are that's all I can fall to as well at points. I, I don't necessarily have a an earthly fix in that sense. The only thing that can set them free yeah. is the only thing because the Supreme is very complicated. It's very interwoven with a lot of psychological problems. Yeah. It's, it's complicated. But I do believe God, he, he doesn't necessarily promise to undo certain things, but he can, and he does. He certainly can do those things. But their, their ultimate hope isn't if they're fixed in this life. Although that's something we pray for. Mark, you had a comment? Yeah. Oh, I was just going to comment that, you know, one of the tensions for me, and we're going to get to this next week, is, and I understand, you know, we're dealing with people on a one-to-one basis. But I'm going to be real honest with you. I view this group as a threat to the church, especially when you see like what's happening in Canada where you're unable to label such things yeah. as sin that need a gospel remedy. And, I mean, I've had this real, uh, maybe you could help me, you know, next week deal with that because I am fearful for the church and that we may not be able in years to come have this discussion. Yeah, I mean, every generation talks about, you know, this this peaceful time we have as Christians. We're, we're probably going to enter persecution at the point. At this point in time, this sure seems like the avenue that that persecution is going to come. And maybe that's short-sighted, but absolutely. This, this might very well be the time that we are going to, we are going to start facing real persecution. Um, like jail time. Like real persecution for, for this issue. We're going to be the absolute bigots. It, it, you know, our stance is going to be equal to racism and and whatever else. And it's going to be completely um, disallowed in our society. Yeah. Go ahead. <clears throat> this is not the issue. This is not the issue. Sexuality, your belief in your sexuality, what you want to do. Sin is the issue. It's a sin problem. Mm. <clears throat> and these people are not safe and they're Sin is manifesting itself in an incredibly distorted way, but they're not saved, they're not, God has not chosen to change their heart, and they're no different than somebody that, whose sin manifests itself differently. Right. Pride or greed or pornography, it's all an issue of sin. Yeah, absolutely. And, and we do call them, even though we're going to be sensitive, we, part of that, we're, that doesn't mean we're not going to call them to repent. They need to be repent. So say, well, you know, we need to work on fixing this problem. That is not the problem. The problem is we need, you know, and, and God and His Holy Spirit and His sovereignty is chosen not to change their hearts. And when their hearts are not changed, and read Romans 1, He gives them over to their perversion. Right. He gives them over to their homosexuality, where, where this goes. And that's his sovereignty and his choice. Okay. I generally try not to ask questions in Sunday school. I know, and we're...
I know we are running out of time, but that's right. I, I would appreciate you coming. This is just an issue I really struggle with, you know, kind of picking off where Mark was going. Um, I, I would probably have a little bit more nuanced position than Ralph, with all due respect to Ralph. Um, but just in my time of being saved, I got saved about 21, I'm almost 40 now, and I've seen just a real shift in the church. When I first became a Christian, I think the church was way too far in the harsh direction. Um, you know, the Jerry Falwells, you know, yeah. just, you're disgusting, it's just nasty, there's us versus them mentality, which I personally felt then, and I still feel now, is very unbiblical. My problem now is I'm struggling in, in the 20 years that I've seen the church really shift, and I'm talking about the true church that still believes all the stuff you're saying, you know, that it is sin, it's wrong, biblical categories, but there's, there seems to be the shift of, look, all we're going to say is that it's sin, um, and, and past that we're just, we're just going to be nicey-nice and, you know, preach the gospel, and I just... I personally struggle to reconcile that exegetically with Romans 1. I just I just genuinely feel like Romans 1 is saying more than that. I could be wrong, and again, it's not that I have this personal animosity towards homosexuals. I have transgender. I've worked with them. They're a lot of times way better employees than I am. Um, but you know what I mean? I just I struggle with the church's stance today and Romans 1. I just feel like Romans 1 is saying more than I think a lot of even... Orthodox biblical Christians want to say that I feel like maybe even you said today. Not that I'm being over. The no, I, I welcome it. So I just throw that out there. Is I worry maybe we've gone too far. Well, yeah, it is a hard balance, and I certainly hopefully not come off as trying to be sensitive that you give any any way on the biblical faithfulness. For sure, we do need to go, but I saw two more hands. Uh, this is just an example. We had a church planter friend in Colorado. Very gospel-driven, oriented, strong influence on Tim. And uh, he had a lesbian couple coming to his church with adopted children. Mm -hmm. And uh, he talked about that he didn't, he didn't pinpoint specific sins, but the gospel was presented over and over and over. And these women kept coming. And after about a year, they showed up in his office, and they said... This is not who God created us to be. And we don't want to be this anymore, but you've got to help us. We have children. But through the preaching of the gospel and the Holy Spirit convicting them, they were renewed. Amen. And sometimes it's not even talking about that issue, it's just the gospel. It's just getting to know that God's our master and I have a Savior in Christ. It's late, but I'm going to let Josh speak anyway. Last last word. <laughs> My only comment was I think I think it is important for us to remember that there is a brokenness in the world that is the product of sin, but is not necessarily sinful itself. So I mean I think that you know when we're talking about you know categorizing uh, people, uh, it's it's important not to put them in struggles yeah, with same sex attraction. There, there's sometimes sin involved in that. But that is just also, there's a chemical, psychological issues that are the product right. of a broken world that is not necessarily right. that person's sin. So it's, I think it's important that we don't sit as the judge and say, you know, that person is simple because they're different. I mean, the man was born blind, not because of his sin or his parents' sin, right? All right, there's a lot, and we'll...
pick up more. I don't even know where I'm going next week. I just thought these comments were helpful. I just knew we would need another week. Um, let's pray very quickly. Father, thank you for creating us. Help us to see your plan for us. Thank you for a savior in the midst of a very confusing world, and particularly the subject. Help us to be studious of your word and not shy away from it in any way. And you help us how to know how to be pastorally sensitive and culturally conversant in all topics, particularly this one. We thank you that you can make all things right in Jesus' name. Amen.